The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey. Your host is Dr. Patricia Halligan. If addiction or prescription drug dependence affects you directly or indirectly, whether it's you, a family member, or a close friend, stay tuned over the next hour as we explore substance use disorders, process addictions, and prescription drug dependence. We'll be discussing the painful reality behind these disorders and what can be done to help. Now, here is Dr. Patricia Halligan. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Halligan. Several of my podcasts have focused on the epidemic of benzodiazepine overprescribing. Benzodiazepines are sedative hypnotic drugs like Xanax, Ativan, and Clonopin. They are only supposed to be prescribed for two to four weeks. However, doctors prescribe them for years. These are dangerous drugs. What you need to know is this. One in three patients will experience benzodiazepine harm to their central nervous system, and one in three may experience severe withdrawal that may last months to years and may ruin your life. I feel honored to have Geraldine Burns on the show today. Geraldine is an absolute giant, a pioneer, and a tireless advocate in the promotion of benzodiazepine awareness and the fight against benzodiazepine harm. In 1999, she started the first internet support group for people wishing to withdraw from tranquilizers or already off and having problems. She was instrumental in having Professor Heather Ashton write her manual, Benzodiazepines, How They Work and How to Withdraw, also known as the Ashton Manual. In 2006, Geraldine launched the website benzobookreview.com. It was started after she was given the rights by 11 internationally known authors of books that had been written on the subject of tranquilizers. She has done a number of radio shows, including Prescription Addiction Radio, The Frankie Boyer Show, Dr. Gloria Gilbert's Your Health Matters Show, and Blog Talk Radio. She was the United States Representative for World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day until 2019. Her advocacy work has been filmed from 2014 to 2020 for the upcoming documentary, As Prescribed, due out in 2022. It's a documentary film project about benzodiazepine dependency and discontinuation syndrome. In 2018, Geraldine and her son, attorney Garrett Burns, launched her podcast, Benzodiazepine Awareness with Geraldine Burns, also available on YouTube. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Helen. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, you've described yourself as a behind-the-scenes kind of person, and yeah. I'm wondering, <laughs> how on earth did you end up front and center leading a crusade? Well, you know, when you have a normal life and you're working and you're a young mother, and all of a sudden, uh, when I had my second child and I said I didn't feel well, I'm given Ativan right in the hospital. Now, mind you, I didn't take it. And then they kept trying to figure out why I didn't feel well, because I had no fever. Eventually, I was sent to a psychiatrist. And even then, I kept saying, well, I, nothing's wrong. I'm not depressed. I just have this heavy feeling. Mm-hmm. So I w- finally had my daughter in March. By August, I, I finally take it. 
And I, I have to say, I got a little bit of relief, but, but it didn't take the heavy feeling away. And now I start developing anxiety, panic attacks, agoraphobia. You know, my mm. life is, I, I want to go back to work and I can't go back to work. Something is wrong with me. So to make a long story short, eventually within a year, um, I did find out I had an infection after childbirth, took an antibiotic, felt wonderful in five days. Even my husband came home. He's like, you look so different. And I, I stopped taking the Ativan. Why did I need it? Right. But right. I don't realize back then there's no internet. You can't just stop taking it. And nobody so, had told you that when they prescribed it in the beginning. Exactly. And when I called the doctor to tell her what happened, she said to go to an emergency room and never questioned her again that I had to take Ativan for the rest of my life. In fact, all through my records, as she's given me other drugs, and thank God I reacted to all of them. And the other thing is my period is changing. I had perfect periods my whole life, and, and each year that I'm on it, I'm, my periods are changing. But at one point, um, by 1992, I'm so ill and non-functional that a friend sends me to a holistic nu nutritionist, and I go to him. He changes my diet, gives me very minimal supplementation for my body, and at that point, she had me on Elevil and Ativan. Got off the Elevil without a problem. And I'm coming off the Ativan. I'm not even, I don't even know tapering. I still don't know it's the drugs. And I go back to work part-time. I'm on call. I love it. And so seven months I'm doing the diet and, I, and I'm losing the drug weight because sometimes you can get that drug weight. And, um, you know, and she said, diet and nutrition have nothing to do with your health. And, and stupidly I said, so I can have sugar again. And she said, absolutely. And I sold myself for sugar. So back up on the Ativan, I went and she constantly kept trying to give me, um, you know, other drugs, nothing ever helped, you know, I mean, you know, it's just pretty sad. So it wasn't until I'm, when I'm turned 41, the bleeding is so bad. It's now three weeks out of the month. And I don't well, know what's that's, going. Yeah, that's terrible. And you're how old? 41. And I wanted to have more children. So from 33 to 41, I watching my periods change constantly, eight, bleeding yep. more and more and more eight, and more. Eight, eight years on Ativan. And what was the average dose? So I started at a half a milligram and I kept reaching tolerance. So I'm having interdose withdrawal and I'm okay. reaching tolerance and she's never explaining it to me. And I'm saying to her the whole time, because I have my records, I kept saying to her, I think it's the Ativan making me sick. And she said, no, you take it as prescribed. Therefore, you are not having a problem. And, you know, it was just ridiculous. So by, by 41, I have a hysterectomy. And six months later, I meet my new gynecologist. And I say to her, you know, I take this Ativan and I can't be without it. And she turned with horror and she said, you're on one of the most addictive drugs ever made. And it was like there was my light bulb moment, you know, that was making me sick all those years. And so but she hands me a slip to come off in two weeks. I'm on three milligrams at that point, you know, and it's like oh, to man. come off in two weeks. She didn't know. But at, le at least she knew it was addictive. She knew it was. Yeah. And then and I had become dependent on it. Right. So that's when you start <laughs> connecting the dots. Every, there's the mysterious, there's everything. I, I saw gastroenterologists, cardiologists. I mean, you, you name it. I was running to doctors for years. Once I knew it was the drug, I, I was done. So I taper, I found one little book back then. This is like back in like 1996, uh, 97. And, it, you know, it says it could take about a year, but I figured, all right, I'll, I'll taper slowly. Well, my slowly, again, when somebody tells you two weeks, I came off in four months and that was, pretty brutal. 
you know. Oh, so. I can't imagine. And the, the yeah. average dose that you were on, uh, the average milligrams per day? In the end, three milligrams. Three milligrams Started over a four-month period withdraw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It okay. hurt. And it hurt. Did, did you taper from the Ativan itself? Yeah. Okay. Taking little small chips little and pieces. Small, well, again, I, I, back then I thought, oh, I was cutting from my morning. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to set it up by seven and seven or eight and eight. I stayed within an hour right. and I was cutting like from my morning dose and my evening dose. Oh, good God. It but hurt. No, nobody was helping you. She said two weeks. So in your mind, you're thinking four months is a long time. Yeah. And then I slowed it down a little bit at the end. And, um, but you know, it's like I'm calling around and, you know, I'm calling Mass General, I'm calling Brigham Women's, I'm trying to call for help and yeah. nobody is is giving help for anything. And, you know, so. And that's the smartest community that I know in America, uh, medically speaking, that's yeah. where all the smart people are. Yeah. Well, at one point, Mass General actually had a benzodiazepine taper program that they tried, but oh. they would only take you if you on Xanax and Klonopin. And so later on, when I talked to the doctor that was running it, he said, well, we would have taken you on the Ativan. I said, well, do you teach any techniques? Do you talk about food? Do you te teach any breathing? Do you do anything to help people, you know, calm down? He said, no, they're just we're tapering them. And I do know that where he has gone to work now that they're actually, I see them all ordering the Astro Manual. So oh, um, hallelujah! I think they're, they're, you know, all these years later, you know, they're well-versed, but he actually prescribed to one of my childhood friends. She went in in her early twenties, uh, uh, with a migraine and walks out with three milligrams of clonopin and 150 milligrams of an antidepressant. And 40 years later, she's now tapering. She, everybody just kept prescribing, even after you left, just kept prescribing to her. I have a patient of mine who listened to one of your podcasts and uh, immediately called her niece who had just been put on Xanax and said, get off it now. I think the niece had been on it for three weeks and she stopped the Xanax and uh, danger averted. So yeah. this is information that just has to get out. It has to get out. We have tried very hard here in Boston. Um, so one of the things that happened is as I'm going through this and you realize it's the drug that took my career away and I'm thinking, oh, I'll be back to work in a year. Um, I started to write a book. I'm thinking, this is insane. This is crazy that, you know, I'm calling doctors in Boston. They're saying no such a thing, or it's, it was out of your system in two weeks. It was out of your system in a month. And here I am experiencing it. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't even drink coffee or tea. I just drink mm -hmm. water and occasionally a little pomegranate juice. Like that is it. You're a healthy person. Yeah, I was, you know, Bef I, I became the healthier. Ativan. I became healthier because of Ativan. I have to say, yes. you never meet one of those people that was always thin and active and could eat anything they want. Well, that was me. Oh, and no. so I now, you know, I, I make sure I'm eating healthy. I'll cheat every now and then. But you realize this is the one body we have to go through life. And I learned the hard way. I, you're tortured. There's no other word for when you go through this, uh, but being tortured. Well, you know, this is where um, I've got two epidemics on my hands as an addiction psychiatrist. One is the opioid epidemic and one is the benzodiazepine epidemic. At least with the uh, opioid epidemic, I can give somebody buprenorphine and stop their withdrawal. But there's no FDA approved medication that I can give somebody who's in active withdrawal. And right. they, they ask me, Geraldine, all the time, um, what can I take? that right. stops the akathisia and the, uh, what can I take for the insomnia? What can I take for the headaches and the tinnitus and the abdominal cramping and, and the high levels of anxiety and irritability. And this is, you are right. It is torture that doesn't end. Correct. 
Correct. And but I've seen over the years when we've had people who have tried to taper and I don't ever call it failing. And then they're going to try again because, again, they have to have a life or they don't have support. I had phenomenal support, you know, like I had phenomenal. Not only, you know, my my mother, my siblings, my neighbors, my my in-laws, you know, my nieces, my nephews, everybody. It was, you know, very supportive. So my kids were. 10 and 14 when I learned. So that's young. And now they knew my, I couldn't do a lot of things before, but now I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to come off these drugs. I'm not going to be feeling well. I mean, they saw me suffering, you know? And um, what, what's the worst moment? If you could paint us a picture of the, the height of the withdrawal. So the height of the withdrawal, I mean, you know, there were hallucinations. There are thoughts of murder. I mean, you know, right. I'm very honest with what I went through. So yes. it's funny because my kids' friends would say, did you ever think that about me? Like my husband or my two kids, if they walked by me, I would have a thought of stick a knife in them. Yes. And I know many that have had to have all the knives taken out of the house. This is, these drugs have altered your brain. So somebody say, yes. oh, that's mental illness. Nope. Didn't have no. it before. Nope. It's, it's full-time mother. Yes. Never had a problem. I had a patient who had that, the same uh, obsessive intrusive, distressing thought. And she didn't have OCD. And the thought was intruding on her consciousness. She had had breast cancer and uh, she was anxious, of course, going through chemo and they put her on clonopin. And within six months to a year, uh, these intrusive thoughts about, I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and stab my family. She's never been violent in her life. This no. was just because the, the benzodiazepines changed her CNS. Changed the, 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 the intrusive thoughts, I think really bother people because these thoughts that come in are horrific. Um, yeah. I think the other thing for me, when I first called over to England, one of the first things they asked, because again, I'm getting no help here. My son says, you have to find others like yourself. So when I called over to England, they mentioned having the mood swings. Well, the mood swings, it it was like I was the exorcist, you know, (laughs) horrible. I'm thinking, what is happening to me? I'm so easygoing, you know, this is not you. No, it really um, changes you. So I remember somebody locally here as um, her daughter was going through it and she was swearing and cursing. I'm like, look, she should apologize when she comes down, but don't take offense to it. She will come out of this, you know, and you have to almost explain to the family. Um, So it's it's very hard. It's 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 so unreal actually what you go through. And yet everything yes. you feel is real. And even though somebody might've had something that I didn't, doesn't mean it isn't real. We've seen some, I can remember, and I've said this on one of my podcasts, uh, one of the women had the sensation of a meat hook up her rectum oh. for 14 months. Oh, she went that's everywhere, excruciating. And then one day just gone, but okay. had it for the 14 months. Right. Such a rare, uh, not talked about uh, symptom, but right right? It can damage the CNS in so many different ways. Yeah. Now, when, when you called England, who did you talk to? So I first, uh, my son found CETA, which Pam Armstrong and Peter Ritson started at. Pam was a nurse who saw the need. Peter was a victim and he wrote a book, Alive and Kicking. Pam wrote hers. Um, and so she was a nurse who had amazing acupuncture skills. So when you went to CETA, which is Council for Involuntary Tranquilizer Addiction, which then they changed the name, and that, that organization is gone. Pam passed away, and then her husband took it over, and then he passed away. So that, that organization is gone. But when you went there, you were given free auricular acupuncture. And one of our women who went through tranquilizer withdrawal, her husband was a pilot. She actually flew to Hong Kong 
for acupuncture and said, Pam's auricular acupuncture, she got the best sleep she ever got. So Pam was doing things to help the body um, so that you're not just struggling and you're doing a slow taper. Mm -hmm. How wonderful. And now you started in 1999, the first online support group. Tell me a little bit about that startup. So we were slowly meeting, I was slowly meeting others online. So I think at that point, we had 24 of us from South Africa, from England, Canada, United States, and somebody said, we should have a spot where everybody can go together. So we did, I started it um, with 24 of us. And then all of a sudden, it just starts growing to 100, 200, you know, 1000, 2000, I think by the time it got to 4000. At that point, um, Dr. Grisanti had said, look, with the manual, we now had the Ashton manual. Heather had mm-hmm. written, Professor Ashton had written that for a book I was doing. I was doing it on a whole international level. I was getting information from Sweden, from Australia, from doctors. And, and not that all those countries are doing better than us, but they had more than us. You know, when I called over to England, the first person I spoke to, he said, you Americans should be ashamed of yourself. We took your scientific information and we did something about it 15 years ago. That was, look how long ago. I've been doing this for 25 years and they were doing it 15 years before. And benzodiazepines have been around since the early 60s, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's disgraceful. Yeah, and we still, we don't have helplines here in the United States or Canada. Uh, there was a doctor, Dr. Steve Gresset, years ago that contacted me. He's passed away now. And he said, let's start uh, a Tranks North America. Because in these groups, you see the main amount of people coming out of Canada and the U.S. As Heather Ashton said, multi-drugging, coming out of these two countries. Just keep giving them more drugs and more drugs. Right. And I still was really not well enough to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, But Tranks in Australia, which is now called Reconnection, even the Australians are in the support group saying, you know, they're not that great. Yes, they have something, but they're not. You need to listen to the patient. We're all different, you know. And I think I mentioned to you before, I don't believe in just starting a taper. Your body is sick from these drugs. They are wiping out nutrients and our digestion is a mess. And what if the liver function isn't good? I had a DNA test. I wasn't born with everything to detoxify properly. I did try alcohol when I was a teen, mm-hmm. didn't like it, got drunk very easily. I always had reactions to meds. So that's a good, clear sign without even paying for yes. uh, a DNA test that I don't process stuff well. So I think to just even change the diet a little bit, we've seen people when they couldn't make it and went back on. Okay. And they try again. All right. I'm going to build myself up first. One of the doctors who tried four times to get off finally went and did functional medicine and built himself up for a year, one year first. And, you know, so he's eating good. He's exercising and supplements for his body. When he tapered, he said he might've had three uncomfortable days. There was a difference from four times before he couldn't do it and would go back on. I wonder what supplements he found most helpful. So I think because I work with for him, everyone. For, it is different for everybody. I think mm-hmm. we learn with me because I was not hit. Somebody would say, oh, I healed quick. Oh, no, I was very slow. I didn't even start to feel better until five years. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. One was going vegetarian. I think we need protein. Mm-hmm. And not that vegetarians can't do it. They have to make sure they're getting the protein in. And I, I would love to get this one person on my podcast who did an amazing job. And she also did something that Pam Armstrong Later on with her clinic found out that if you did this while tapering, it's not going to take any of your suffering, but there'll be no protracted withdrawal. 
And she did it. And she got actually better the lower she got. And she was on an opioid, an antidepressant, and a benzo. Oh, and that's some withdrawal. And she didn't get sicker. She got better. But she so was meticulous with her diet. If you had it to do all over again, you might have sought out functional medicine first in the very beginning. That's, in the very beginning. That's wonderful to hear. That's great advice for people. And it makes sense, right? Get yourself in a position to run a marathon without a time clock. Exactly. And, and again, all functional medicine doctors aren't going to be good. So whatever they recommend, and, I, and I've said this, you have to start at a, like um, one of our girls who she tried everything and then she had just had it like that was going to be the end. Right. And she decided, no, all my functional medicine tests show the phase two of my liver is not good, just like mine. So she went back to the products that she had and literally started at the size of a pinhead and worked her way up slowly. And that's what the doctor had said to me. We fixed my gut first mm -hmm. in three months. I, I was 97 pounds at one point, got up to 104 when I started working with him and my weight was able to come on. I got my strength back, but something still wasn't right. So later on, I did do this um, mucosal barrier test, which they don't do anymore. They do an oats test, which would say the shape that the liver is. We did the liver so slowly and boom, that's when I fully got better. So start from the inside and then start the taper. Right. And moving a little bit. You don't ever want to move too fast. Dr. Pert, when he was alive, mm -hmm. he ran victims of tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. He said, if you lived it to be a million, they'd still find a trace of benzos in your body. So you've got to, you want to walk slow, build up slowly. Everything is slowly. You don't want to upset the body too much and make, make right. it dump something and you can't get rid of it. Right. So, because this autonomic nervous system right now is in a very hyperactive injured state. So you want right. to be very gentle, but exercise right. is good. Functional medicine is good. Nutrition is good yeah. and uh, build yourself a village. And tell me a little bit about your connection with Heather Ashton. So actually, when I was speaking with Dr. Reg Perrett, who ran Victims of Tranquilizers, and you know, he knew I wanted to do this whole international type of book, like, how is this going on in every country? Right. And he said, you need to talk to Heather Ashton. So he gave me had this number. Oh, that's and I called too her. funny. You called yeah. her on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And I called her and I, I told her what I was looking for. She said, well, but Shirley Trickett, her book is out. I said, but they won't reprint it. Like, so her publisher felt um, that, well, we've already put it out there. In mm -hmm. Australia, they had done The Accidental Addict. Their publisher wouldn't print again. Well, it's been out there. They actually got funding to do research and actually had 50 patients, you know, clients, and they followed them. And that still didn't go anywhere. So uh, I said to her, I need something to validate what we're going through. I need it written so that a lay person can understand it, but we can take it to our doctors. So all of a sudden, within weeks, shows this packet at my house with the three chapters. I'm looking for like three pages, which is like what most of the doctors wrote for me. Right. And comes the three chapters. So, and then came the decision, let's just put it out there. I mean, what do we need mine for? Mine, you know, which... I, I still, people say you should do it, but I'd rather do the podcast. Um, but yes, if she hadn't done that, we still well, would not have a lot of validation. If you hadn't asked her, there would be no Ashton manual. Yeah. Uh, like, do you know that that is the only way as an addiction psychiatrist who did a fellowship in addiction psychiatry after four years of psychiatry residency? The, the only way that I learned how to take people off benzodiazepines is by looking at the Ashton manual. Nobody yeah. in my program had even really, they didn't even know it was a thing. Right. But here's the one thing Heather always wanted to make clear. When you look at 
the manual. Um, you know, she does everything in two weeks, which even in the UK, they taper yes. every three to four weeks. Two weeks is too hot unless somebody's on a high dose and they can handle it. She used to say, I don't want people to use like a lawnmower manual, right. Geraldine. So we kind of put a thing at the front, which again, right. we know some of the doctors aren't looking. They'll look at two weeks and force their patients off every two weeks. It's she wanted it to be have the patient in control. And, yes. you know, she knew that she learned from the people that came into her clinic. Mm -hmm. But you were very, very smart to say, we need something written by a doctor for a doctor so that the patient has credibility when right. that patient goes into her doctor and says, this was written by a expert psychiatrist in Newcastle, England, who has a clinic. She's an expert at taking people off benzodiazepines. This is what she's writing. So all of a sudden the patient feels believed, has credibility, has courage. And the doctor, if he's open-minded, will say, let me take a look at this. And right. sure, I don't know how to do this, but I'll follow this and we can try it. So right. way to go, Geraldine. I, I'm, I'm so thankful yeah. that you and she was her. lovely. She's, was she? She was amazing. You could call her and she just chat like a girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? She was a very kind, very loving. Um, but, uh, you know, sadly, as her health went downhill, but the Americans, she's like the Americans, you know, people would get a hold of her email and she would try to answer everybody and she mm -hmm. would answer in a lovely form. And yes. it just got to be too much. I said to her, you don't have to answer people like, you know, send them to the support group, send them. Yes. Well, then also in the UK, as we started the support groups, again, they're like the Americans are calling over to the Bristol tranquilizer and Cedar when they were going or mm -hmm. Subibi ran her, she's passed away. This is how long this has been going on. Right. Subibi's passed away. Her organization was for kids that got put on benzos and that um, your organs don't develop properly for all these children. Cause she was a child when she got put on who then met up with Will Day in Australia. So they were, you know, they were trying to bring out the research for children being harmed. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about the um, BenzoBookReview.com website, uh, which has 11 benzodiazepine books on it. How did that come about? So that came about because Dr. Grazanti, who has the computer knowledge, I don't. He said, do you know the authors of all the books? Because I was mailing the Ashton Manual out of my house, and we mm -hmm. weren't doing the other books, and they were very hard to get a hold of. Either they were out of print, or if you look on Amazon, somebody was charging $75. Oh, wow. So I said, yeah, I actually do know all of them. And yeah. so he said, write to them, see if you can get the rights. And and then he set up the whole thing. Uh, he's, he was phenomenal to set that up. And so that at the click of a button, no matter, I mean, there isn't a country I don't think we've heard from that are ordering the two main ones that are audited. And now it's mainly the Asha manual, but it was the Asha manual and um, the accidental addict initially. And uh, the other ones here and there, Felicity Jones's book, or um, no, I'm sorry, Heather Jones's book, Felicity Bailovich's book, um, Shirley Trickett's book. I mean, they're all on there. There's some wonderful books. What's the book about the mother whose son ha dies of brain cancer at the age of four and some physician puts, yeah. puts her on Gatsby. a benzodiazepine? Yeah, oh. the, our pill epidemic. That's Joan Gatsby. And, mm. you know, the, no, hers is, I think, addiction by prescription. I think um, you're right. Right. Her and her husband go together mm. into a meeting counseling because Derek had passed away. I, I've had her here at my house. And um, she gets put on a benzo and 23 years later, when she comes off, she is then mourning Derek's death. Oh, because the grief has been suspended because suspended. she's been uh, psychiatrized, zombified. All those years. Yep. And then her daughter, Deb, she had three children, 
Deb develops breast cancer and dies later on. And, and you know what? She's like, and, and you're able to handle that. You don't get drugged for it. You want to feel right. that pain. Right. Yes. You lose so many decades of your life when you're on benzodiazepine maintenance. Yeah. Now you're doing legislation in your state of Massachusetts. Where right. does that stand at this point? So I think uh, my son and Representative McMurtry have filed for the fourth time. And this mm-hmm. time, at any time, we could get a call, but it'll be via Zoom. Um, and the sad thing is, well, the first time, you know, you kind of know it's it's not going to make it through. It's, you know, you're coming through, even though the testimonies were phenomenal. You sat there and you cried through all of it. Um, and, and sad to say, all the physicians that came, all they did was speak about, you know, their all their degrees and where they went. And they were you know, no such a problem and did not stay to hear. One of them stayed, just one. They all left, did not stay to hear anyone's story. That's very close-minded and how insulting. Yeah. Now, the next time, only two of them come back. And uh, again, they were specifically asked to stay and hear the stories right out of the room. Did not hear. They only hear mine because I get to go up and speak for So right out of the room, they don't care. They bring in their um, lobbyists, you know. Don't, don't you wonder how physicians can't know that this epidemic is going on? Like, I'm, I'm just minding my own business in my addiction psychiatry office, and I am overwhelmed with calls yeah. uh, for the past decade because the prescriptions, long-term prescriptions are increasing at a rapid rate, and so are the dosages increasing. And people knocking down my door saying, I can't find anybody to help me. Um, these drugs are making me sick. Exactly what you said. I'm developing panic attacks in the middle of the night. I can't sleep. My memory is bad. I I can't function at work. I'm not the same person. I can't sit still. I'm pacing. Please help me get off these drugs. My doctor has either told me to increase the dose or my doctor has said, I can't help you Uh, go to a clinic, go to a rehab. Yeah. where they'll take me off these drugs within a two to three week yeah. period or add in more drugs, <laughs> right? Like, aren't they listening? Because I'm no. not seeking these patients out. I have enough people struggling with alcohol or opioid or marijuana problems. They're, they're, they're finding me, they're desperate. And it's, this is a massive epidemic worldwide, right? Worldwide. The other thing I think that's sad that you see in the groups, how many people are coming into the groups that are just being cold turkey. Doesn't matter whether yes. you're on 10, 12, you know, 20, 30 years, yes. just their doctors ripping them off. It's, well, it's unbelievable. I, I, think, I don't even understand it. I think it's because the doctor wants to get rid of the problem. And it's so dangerous uh, because, the, the, I mean, they could die from the withdrawal seizures and create such benzodiazepine harm right? Somebody that might ordinarily have a a taper, long, slow taper that's successful. All of a sudden he's ripped off in a matter of weeks. And all of a sudden we've got a severe with protracted withdrawal on our hands that may be lasting. Right. Yeah. It's uh, I don't, I don't understand it. I I wish that, you know, in all these years that we've done something, I wish we've made a dent and I hate to say we still in almost 25 years haven't really made a dent except for Now there's numerous more books have written, more support groups, more people worldwide are in them, and we can't get the medical profession to pay attention. Some do, so I don't want to, like you, but there are others, and they know. But a benzodiazepine person who's been taken off too fast or sick Mm -hmm. from multiple drugs, um, I mean, they're they're hard. I mean, they want to call somebody constantly. They're very sick. It's that constant reassurance, which is why... You know, we started finally, you know, my son, when we're in at the state house, he's 
he's he's listening to them. They're they're calling him. I mean, they're desperate, you know, for help. And he's like, Mom, you, you gotta, you know, forget the way you were gonna do before with with um, the CDs. He goes, podcast of the thing now, you know, you've got to do it. Like, well, <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, yeah. So he's been behind your podcast uh that's uh Benzodiazepine Awareness with Geraldine Burns that yeah. you launched in 2018. So it's three years in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So your son really was behind that. He is. And he's the manager. He manages everything. So, you know, either I'm not available or he's, you know, or, you know, there's been illness. So that's a good thing about podcasts. You can stop. And, you know, I get uh, emails or messages. Um, it doesn't like from all over the world. They say, I drive around this guy from Australia said, I drive around and I listen to your podcast the whole time. And somebody oh. else said, I'm on the train. Actually, this was a pharmacist. He said, I'm on the train. I listen to your podcast all the time. So that's something they could just take with them and nobody you know, needs to hear it. We're on YouTube. And uh, for anybody who doesn't have a smartphone or a way to listen, but it is, it's that constant reassurance. In fact, one of the stories on there is Scott and Stephanie, they were friends in high school, and it's it's a story of he was t- in a rehab, just yanked off his meds, and she's got him filmed like he's shaking, and she put him back on Ativan, and I, he was on a, a little bit of Paxil. She starts, she brings him into her home with her family, and she's juicing and building up his nutrition, and she actually did take him to a functional medicine doctor, and building him up. They don't taper him. They actually built him up. And when she brought him to my house, he sat there as if like the living dead. And I'm talking, you know, way. And I said to him, you don't believe I was ever sick, do you? And he said, no. And I said to him, someday, no one's going to believe you were sick because you'll Uh be better. And they opened up a restaurant together. He got better. And in the end, once he was fully recovered, um, it took four years. This is how slow he went to come off the Paxil. Four years years of still eating healthy so that his life was not interrupted at all. But that's what a friend can do. Just oh, be there, you that's, know? that's powerful. So say this one more time, because I think the listeners do need to hear this. Most people recover from benzodiazepines. Right. Yes, they do. Yes. And so you- I was a long time that I, you could say I wasn't going to heal. So yes. I had to something, the drugs had done something to me. So yes, yes, my gut was a mess. I had candida, leaky gut, malabsorption. That's why I I, I really feel like I was dying at 97 pounds. Like how much more, I was like a skeleton with skin. So now let's start working. I mean, so I finally out of desperation, you know, I, I, you know, I called, uh, you know, a friend who now was doing functional medicine and there's, you don't even have to go to a functional medicine doctor tell you there are ones you can work with long distance and, that's you wonderful. Know, check them out. Some take insurance. There actually was a place here um, not too far that the whole building was functional MDs, functional uh-huh. medicine MDs, and then they closed, but they took insurance. It was wonderful. So I was sending a lot of people there. So do you feel back to normal or better than you did before you started on benzodiazepines? Well, or- let's see. I was 33 and I'm 66 now. So, okay. but I am up and on the go. I'm on one hour sleep, not by choice. You know, it's just one of those nights and, you know, my nephew's yes. first day of school and I had a lot to do today. Um, and uh, yeah, but you no, have a I, lot I, of energy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I, here's my only problem. And I, I'm very honest with it. And I've now learned it's really not from, coming off the drug. So all those years I was sick and then, you know, recovering, my husband did all the driving. And I talked to a friend recently whose spouse died and she said, no, 
you know, I didn't do all the driving, you know? And, and so she's like, and she's a nurse. She's like, I'm just like you. I have my certain places that I drove alone, but when we were together, I wasn't the one doing the driving. She said, that's from not doing it for so long. And when my husband first got sick, I started doing like all that. I mean, I was in at Dana Faber. I have no problem going in there, but right. the highway, the highway, the speed that bothers me. Still anxious. Not so much anxious, but I just need to do it more. But, you know, my husband wants to take over. Nope, nope, I'm doing the driving. So that's probably my only thing. And I do feel like my nervous system tells me when to slow down. I have to pay attention. So I have my little natural things that I take to keep me Mm -hmm. calm. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll be leaving soon to go to Florida to take care of my mother. So I'll have my husband who's sick, my mother. And I just get up every morning and I take my stuff and then go for a walk, you know. And do you take supplements? I do. Do you want to share any of them on the podcast or are you reluctant to do that? I'm very careful what okay. to say because somebody may run out and get it. I'm, and it I might don't not lot, work. And it might not work for them. Okay. Everybody yeah. is different and every brain is different. Right. I, I respect I like, that. I like, um, I will say this, some of the things that like liquid homeopathics yes. that I can start with one drop, two drops till I feel comfortable. Even after mm-hmm. all these years, I'm careful mm-hmm. with everything. Anything that would affect the liver, I'm always very careful, but yes. um I like to see tests to see, okay, well, what am I lacking in? And even still, if a doctor gives you something, start at the lowest dose, work your way up. If he says, well, you need, you know, 150 milligrams of this supplement, the Mm -hmm. lower, buy the lowest and go slow, you know? Right. That's good advice, I think. Now, your advocacy work has been filmed from 2014 to 2020 for the upcoming documentary called As Prescribed, due out in 2022. Can you tell me something about this? So I think Holly Hardman is the director and producer. I think it's going to be a fantastic film. I mean, she got me from from the beginning. Who thought we'd still be doing it years later? And I think you're even going to see all the stress that I go through during that time that I'm not taking a drug. At one point, I fell and broke my pelvis. Oh. I, t- I took nothing and that's painful, but Ouch. I did it. I did it all natural. Um, and I healed even the physical therapist coming in was like, I can't believe how fast you're healing with no drugs. And my sister, who's a nurse broke hers four years before me. Well, you know, she's pain management. She took the drugs three months later. She goes back to work on one crutch six weeks later. I'm no crutches. You, so, you broke your pelvis and you didn't take pain pills. I just wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. Took nothing. You know, my sister would call every day. You have to take pain. How are you going to, you have to take them. I'm like, I can't walk number one till 10 days later, we could get to a hospital. And then they, he sent a physical therapist in to slowly teach me how to walk again. But I said to her, I've been through benzo withdrawal. Pain is pain that I understand. I don't want to take anything that I don't know how it's going to affect me. I don't want my bowels affected. I understand. Tough that is. Yes. I, I, to me, Benzo withdrawal was worse than, and, and somebody would say, well, what was your pain? Like a one, one to a 10. I'm like, maybe a 15 to a 20. It was bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wh- not taking anything. Now, where do people go to learn more about this uh, documentary as prescribed? So you can go to asprescribedfilm.com. And if okay. people want to make donations, she's at the final stage of editing. Um, but I think it's going to be very powerful. She's following certain people and, um, and then you'll see everything that went on here in Massachusetts. And uh, the, I will say this, when we did legislation, uh, the mm-hmm. head of the committee one year was a nurse. She was a representative, but was also a nurse. And when she heard the story at the end, I said, my niece was 30 years old and, um, you know, going through a divorce, was drinking. So, you know, her sisters put her into a rehab. 
and they sent her out on Xanax. Now, you surely just give it for the few days you're in there. You know, she's young. She's got three little girls. She got in a car accident and they gave her a pain pill and she passed away. So that suppressed her breathing, leaving three oh, little girls behind. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, and again, medical error, iatrogenic problem should not have happened. No. And it even saw it on her death certificate. Well, I looked up the drug at the time and when we, I can't remember what it is now. And it said not to be given with Xanax. And she was given Xanax when she left the rehab. So there's a young 30 year old girl with three little girls, you know, just going through a divorce, you know, little bit of a problem. Yes. Xanax isn't going to change it. No, you know? it didn't, didn't have to happen. Didn't have to happen. And so um, she actually called, she had Representative McMurtry call me the night before Governor Baker's opioid meeting and asked if I would come in and speak. So there was the connection with the benzos and that. And uh, so that was pretty good because when I left that meeting, I could feel somebody behind me. And um, it was somebody from a, a, a health place here that they trained doctors. And he said, what you said was so good. You know, we needed that, you know, but yet I was in the bathroom and there were girls in there on high doses of opioids and benzos. And I'm, I, what am I going to say to them? Like, it's, cause how do you get them off? They're on such high doses. It's Russian roulette, isn't it? Yeah. So no, well, part of our legislation is informed consent. Yes. Short-term reason, short-term prescription. Many are going to fly. Why are you given, you know, a full 30-day supply with refills? That shouldn't happen. Right. So our death in the family, again, just, you know, short, short-term prescription. We want, um, we want a symptom-guided taper because I think one of the first times we went in, they wanted the pu- Department of Public Health to have guidelines. Well, if you have mm-hmm. guidelines, you have to stick to it. So no way. Right. Symptom-guided taper. And the other one was because I had three childhood friends all put on benzos, all on them long-term. And uh, that there, and one is absolutely trying to get off. She's more than halfway off. That's the one that's been on for 40 years. Another one has passed away. And the other one, she's done better. Um, but if you're on long-term and your life is, you're functioning and they, they can try to taper, but if they can't, how much more of their lives are you going to hinder? It's already been done to them. So they need to be informed and uh, educated. And if they can't do it, they should not be forced off. It's, right. It might be too late. Like if it was my mother. Yes. Uh, don't touch my, leave her alone. You Somebody, know? Your mother's in her nineties. My mother is 93 today. Yeah. 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 Happy but, birthday. Yeah. But when my mother fell again, cause she has polio, she yes. fell, broke her ankle back when she was in her eighties. And so she had to go into rehab till I could get there. And they put her on Ambien every night for two months. And when I got to Florida and they brought her in, I said to my sister, She's intolerance from Ambien. She's well, she needs it to sleep, you know? So I it's, said, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there are so many alternatives to yeah. insomnia than Ambien, Lunesta, Sonata, and benzodiazepines. Well, do you know, it wasn't even insomnia when she was in the rehab. It was just, there was so much noise. If they had shut her door. That would have worked. So if they had just shut your door, you could have slept. Yes. And so I had to bring her back to Boston and my mother's could be a tough cookie. And this just humbled my mother. So I had to start tapering my mother for only two months. It took us like, I think three months to get her off because she hurt every step of the way, every symptom or hot, the head. I mean, she, I would sleep in bed with her. I did for her, you know, she was there for me. I was there for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, the elderly should not have to go through something like that. So if I didn't know, and because that was such a short acting one, but I, it was two months, I'm like, you're getting off because she wasn't good on it. Like if she was good on it, leave her alone. 
And Geraldine, if you could say something to psychiatrists right now, uh, or any medical doctor, family medicine, uh, OBGYN, uh, kids coming out of med school, becoming physicians, what would you say to, to physicians everywhere about this class of drugs? Right. I would say I am, well, first of all, I'm not against them. I'm for the responsible use. So, you know, if we could find all the literature that's out there, in fact, Dr. Pert had over 1600 articles written on benzodiazepines worldwide, and there's been more since. Mm -hmm. If we can have read those, if, if, if you're, if the victims of these drugs are bringing out the Ashton manual, why can't you read it before you drug somebody, there's a family behind them. You know, it affects a whole family. This is, I've seen some of the worst things. Listen to your patients. You know, just because you have read it in a textbook, does listen to your patients. That's what Heather Ashton did. She was a yes. wonderful example of a good doctor. So yes. listen, do your own research. Join a support group and see what others are saying. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. Yeah. So if you ask a person in your office uh, to bring a family member in, and then you give them informed consent and you say, this is a medication that can help with insomnia, can help with anxiety, but it's not research supported beyond two weeks, four weeks maximum. It might result in severe withdrawal that lasts for months to years. It might harm your central nervous system. What do we say, folks? Do we want to give it a try? What do you yeah. think people would say? They'd walk away. Thank <laughs> God. Say, and there are some, like I said, there are some wonderful natural, there are some clinical studies on some of the natural products out there. And there's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, CBT-I, coach CBT-I put out by the VA that's research supported that works better than any medicine for insomnia. Yeah. Absolutely. Hands down, research supported. We, we, or you take a look, like you say, you listen to your body. If I'm not sleeping, there's, there's usually a reason. Either I'm drinking right. too many energy drinks or too much, uh, you know, Coca-Cola or too much um, coffee, right? Or I'm having trouble in a relationship or I'm having neck pain or uh, I've got headache problem or back yeah. pain or I need to change a mattress or, you know, there's, there is a reason why people have insomnia, right? Right. right. And, and the other thing is, right. And interesting, when you mentioned the, um, the stuff in these, these drinks, somebody who had, he'll always say I was 110% healed. And then he called one day, and, and he's in tears. He's like, it's all back, something's wrong. I'm like, well, what are you doing differently? And he's like, you know, nothing. And then he goes, I drink this propel water. Well, I didn't know what propel water was. So his daughter looks it up, sucralose. So sucralose is one thing that it wound a lot of people uh, with anxiety, even before you need a tranquilizer, get off the sucralose. So the artificial sugars have got to go. You know, they are pretty dang. If you're going to do sugar, do sugar. But that affects the nervous system. But there's honey, there's date syrup. There's a lot of things you can use. But and antibiotics, that's another thing that's thrown people into, um, you know, having anxiety. But the first time we went into the state house. I brought in uh, three pages of how people wound up on benzos. Do you know that anxiety was probably the and panic attacks the least reason? I know. I know. They use it off label. They've done research for treating chronic pain. Uh, it's not. It's not supposed to be tr for treatment of chronic pain. For stress, right? What is yeah. stress? Everybody's got stress in their life, right? So yeah. This is, this is crazy. I think they've been using them to treat opioid uh, withdrawal because of the uh, push to get people off opioids. 
And doctors don't know how to, you know, detox people off years and years of pain pills. So I think that's why the the prescriptions of benzodiazepines are on the rise. But let me ask you this, probably the most important question that I'm going to ask today is, what do you say to the person who's listening right now, who's either stopped a benzodiazepine taper three months ago, and they're still feeling ill, or they're in the middle of their benzodiazepine taper, and they're, com- they're, they're saying, Geraldine, I, I, I'm tense. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. I, I pace. I don't sleep. I have brain fog. My memory is horrible. And I uh, have ringing in my ears and my gut's not back to normal and I can't focus at work. And I'm, I'm just climbing the walls. This is not bearable. When is this going to end? And what, what should I do? And where should I go? I'm on a Valium taper, but what should I take? Where should I go? What should I do? When is this going to end? Will I ever get better? These, this is what people ask me all day, every right. day. That's the million dollar question. And that's why I never finished the book. Cause it's like, is there a magic bullet? And I then know. you find out there isn't, we're I all know. different. So the one thing I would say is yes, you can get better because there isn't a symptom aside from my, I did have some akathisia. I didn't have a lot of pain. I did have horrible twitching. I mean, I had like 50 symptoms going, including wherever you had a surgery, a scar, I would yeah. feel it all over again. Everything was raw and fresh. Um, is that you can get better. You know, it's going to take time. I still say you can stop, slow your taper down, build your body up, and, and you're fully in control. You're in the driver's seat. And I would say it, not that everybody has to have support. It's so important. One of our women who she didn't have, uh, her husband had passed away. She was alone. She had different people do different things. Now, mind you, they didn't understand the whole withdrawal thing, but somebody would drop off food. Call. If somebody had cancer, they would surround you with food. They'd make a chart of who's bringing this. You know, we can't all eat perfectly, but you can eat simply. If you listen to Cindy Samora's story, she became homeless at one point and still kept a meticulous diet. She had a phenomenal naturopath out in Montana. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a functional medicine doctor, but digestion, I think, is important and eating the right things and avoid the things that are going to harm you. Like some were still drinking. I mean, you can't drink alcohol. Dr. Pert was, he says, for three years. Now, I don't drink, so it's easy for me to say that. Too much coffee, not good. Sugar, you know, again, you have the cravings. I understand that, but try to go over to something a little bit more natural but not an artificial sweetener i mean and and move you've got to move and water dr pert always said keep the bowels going that you want to get that going and you know there are simple teas you can do to help the body i'm not a tea drinker but i made myself drink some teas that you don't want to ever cleanse the liver but just you know assist there are certain teas that you can you can ask in any health food store what would help start making it weak let it get stronger stronger as days go by do everything slowly that's, that's wonderful advice. And do you have a preference uh, with respect to a virtual support group, an online support group? What ones do you like or are you reluctant to say? I Well, you know what? I, I, I look at a few of them because, you know, I've, I've got my husband who's sick, so I'll, I'll see some. So I mean a lot because, you know, I'll put the podcast in when they come up. But um, yeah, so it's hard to say because they're, they're all good. Some might be uh, again, because I'm not in them all the time. I loved mine, obviously, years ago when we were small. And you know, what, but- what was yours called? 
Oh, my, I think it was just called, it's been so many years now. I think it was just called Benzos, but it was okay. it originally started out at one list. Then it went to Yahoo. And I think we kept the name so that nobody else would take it. Um, the, I had the, given it to somebody else after a while when I went on to do the Benzo book review uh, project, because every single book had to be scanned in and converted over to into a PDF. I mean, it was, people don't realize the amount of work. So the Asher manual is up, always up for free. And the paid ones, um, go to support the websites. Everybody who has a website, they were paying out of pocket. So, our, you know, I sent money over to Professor Ashton's son to continue her, her legacy, her work. Oh, it's wonderful. And do you have a favorite website for uh, people trying to learn about the harms of benzodiazepines and benzodiazepine withdrawal? Uh, there's so many good ones out there right now. There's, there's so many good ones. Um, you can but, educate yourself and yeah. you can educate so the, the family. The original one was benzo.org.uk, where the article, uh, Ray Nemo has that site where he's got the article on there about a women's menstrual cycle because so many of us have been hysterectomized, DNCs, you know, lost girls lost their periods. We saw all that when they came in to speak at the hearing. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is, as these girls become women and they they can't, they, you know, they've lost the chance to have children. One was able to have one and then her periods again, just so messed up from benzos. And um, so that was the original one. There's benzoinfo.com. There's, um, there's benzosupport.org.com. There's um, benzoreform. Um, there's, I mean, there's just so many of them now. Um, Thank God for the advocates like you. Yeah. I mean, it's who's really going to care, but somebody who went through it. Yes, exactly. Um, And, you know, people think, oh, we're all these us patients. Well, there's been so many medical professionals that have gone through our groups and some of them don't, you know, I remember one, she kept working and she didn't want anyone to know that she's tapering, you know, but another one of our orthopedic doctors, he, just took Xanax for a little bit of stress and it turned his world upside down. Now he eventually did die via suicide. And as he said, I should have known on that last call, he mm. was devastated by what these drugs can do for a short time. And he, he just, he, I think being a, a doctor, maybe he just couldn't comprehend a drug could do this. Mm-hmm. And he was the most lovely man. And he said, I have a wonderful wife, a beautiful home, money, children. He's like, this is awful. What a, what a tragic end, and it didn't have to happen. Now, it didn't have to happen. And unfortunately, we are at the end of the show. I could talk to you all day about this, and I just love your enthusiasm and your passion and your tireless advocacy work. Um, Geraldine Burns, you are one of my favorite kind of heroes. You fought the good fight. You didn't give up, and then you took your own pain and suffering and everything you learned, and you're using it to help others. You have made an enormous difference worldwide. And I just, on behalf of our listening audience, Geraldine, I just, I honor you and I respect your journey and thank you so much. Thank and, you so much for having me on. Oh, my very pleasure. Well, this is Recovery, uh, The Hero's Journey. And uh, thank you very much, Geraldine. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us this week. Recovery, The Hero's Journey is broadcast every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. As you wait for our next program, remember, you are definitely not alone.